This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Eighteen. The thought of Estella Rowan reminded Jack of her purpose at the compound and renewed her resolve to find out who was behind the consciousness programs. She had her first work shift after lunch and was hopeful that whatever they would have her doing as a programmer would shed some light on the situation. She agreed to meet Susanna for dinner at the middle sitting and headed off to her room to find out where she was supposed to go for her work shift. The morning class had been interesting and compelling. But now, as she walked all the way back to her room to find out a piece of information that would take just a second on the nets to retrieve, she was becoming less enamored with the whole red philosophy. It was nice to play historical, and to pretend not to have everywhere net or integrated systems, but there was a good reason everyone adopted those technologies in the first place. Jack entered her room and stuck her key into the viewer. She found the location of the programmer's lab and took an image of it. She had a few minutes to spare and tried to call up a mashup of the whole complex map and her schedule for the rest of her stay. Amazingly, the viewer complied, and she gratefully took an image of the map showing everywhere she needed to be and when she needed to be there. It wasn't as good as having a system do it all for her, but if she found a few spare minutes she could program her local system to remind her where she was going every time she had a new session. She yanked the key from the viewer and headed back outside. She walked briskly to the programmer's lab. When she arrived, she met a handful of other obvious nooms and a couple of people who were clearly going to be showing them the ropes. Jack was curious to discover what they even did, since it seemed like the Red tried to avoid systems and the nets as much as possible. A few other people arrived, and one of the staffers addressed the group. "'Hi, everyone,' a tall, nondescript woman said. "'You can call me Luge. "'I'm going to show you around all our systems and get you set up with jobs to do.' These tasks might not be glamorous, but they need doing, and you all need stuff to do. So there you have it. Now, you will have noticed that we don't tend to use wireless here very much. Some of the people here aren't equipped for it. Most of us in the labs do use it, though there are ways for anyone who isn't chipped. Is there anyone who'd prefer a hardwired line into the system? The members of the group looked around at each other, with looks of confusion on their faces. Jack found a use for what she had learned this morning and spoke up. I don't think any of us prefer hardwire, since it looks like most of us don't know what you're talking about. Luge laughed, and a few of the other noobs made affirming noises. Fair enough, Luge said. Well, I'd better start there. She moved over to a workstation and pulled out a log cable from the wall. Most of the Reds who don't use wireless still use the nets at least some of the time. They get implants, where we all have our wireless nodes, that allow a cable to be plugged in. They what? one of Jack's fellow noobs asked, alternately shocked and amazed. Luge smiled patiently and explained that they get an input jack implanted in their heads where the rest of us have wireless nodes implanted. Then, when they want to connect to the network, they stick the prong end of the cable into the jack and away they go. Ew, said the same person who originally questioned the process. That's nasty sticking shit in your head. It's a lot less nasty than implanting foreign bodies in there permanently, said the other staffer, a soft-spoken man who looked older than anyone Jack had ever seen. At least I can take the shit out of my head whenever I want to. 
He turned away from the group, and Jack could see a small black artificial-looking patch just behind and below his left ear. Okay, everyone, I think we've beaten this dead horse into the ground, Luge said, heading the group toward a set of chairs and viewers. These will be your workstations, and you can log in wirelessly here. Just flip this switch to the on position. She pointed out a lighted button next to the viewer, and insert your key for authentication. Then you'll be on the system with the basic permissions we've given you as new users. If you'll each take a station and log in, you'll get your assignments for the shift. Jack grabbed a chair in the middle and completed the login procedure. She was greeted by the same friendly voice as the viewer, but this time it identified itself as Red 3. It gave Jack the promised boring task, reviewing code for a new version of the scheduling module of Red 5. It wasn't programming intelligent agents, but it was better than any of the other jobs on offer. Plus, Jack got to poke around the internal Red system while she was there. It was very much like a cross between a typical firm's network and an individual's local system. The scheduling process was by far the majority of the system and the most collaborative. However, there were user accounts with backup storage, and she noticed that there were at least two other systems outside the one in which she was working. She suspected that users with higher permissions could access those systems, and that was exactly where she wanted to be. It wasn't going to happen on this shift, though since she just managed to poke around a little bit and review her assignment before the friendly voice told her that she was done for the day. Jack logged off Red 3 and pulled up the map from her local system. She had about half an hour before she was scheduled for a short course on Common Lies We All Believe and Who's Behind Them. She left the labs and decided to take a quick stroll around the compound. She headed to the area behind the main building in the programmer's labs, where, according to her map, the more seasoned Reds rent about their business. There were a few people milling about, and they certainly seemed more familiar with their surroundings than most of the people Jack had seen within the noobs area. She found a central location with a bench and sat down, just letting the activity of the space flow around her. She started paying attention to the little things about the people walking around her, those small differences. She noticed that a couple of people had the same kind of jacks in their heads as the quiet fellow in the programmer's lab. There were a few people who seemed to have done something strange to their left hands. The thumbs seemed to stick out at a funny angle. And Jack was convinced that one person was missing a left hand entirely. She was starting to wonder if she was seeing things that weren't there, and decided it must be time to head to her next session. As she walked to her next class, she found herself looking more closely than usual at the limbs and ears of the people she passed. She found her way to the meeting room for her next session, and listened while an earnest speaker explained that firms existed only to make money and that they treated people the same way they treated any other asset they owned. Jack was amazed that this was news to anyone, but she had been working for the firms for three quarters of her life and had seen that attitude firsthand. The speaker talked about some specific instances and highlighted those cases where people were cast aside like last year's chair or even where people died. Of course, the law, such as it was, was made by the firms and backed up any action they took so long as it didn't interfere with another firm's business. Some of the participants were shocked, but Jack was surprised that so few people knew the law. Individuals had stopped having rights outside of what their employment contracts included when she was a kid. Maybe younger folks just didn't know what they were missing, since they'd never had it. After a few more examples of old news, Jack tuned the speaker out and started planning how she would crack into the higher levels of the red system. She was pretty sure that getting into the higher-level systems would be fairly easy for her. The problem was making sure she didn't get caught. She thought that since they relied on physical keys as their primary authentication method, 
She might be able to mask her identity that way somehow. She spent the rest of her session planning her attack, and when it was over, she walked out of the room more or less in a daze. She headed back to the main hall and her dinner date with Susanna. Jack found her waiting at the entrance to the building, and they walked into the dining area together. Jack asked Susanna how her session had gone. It was pretty jazz, Susanna said, grinning widely. The guy was talking about how the ident chips we have track us all our lives and limit our freedoms. He was all about how we were tagged at birth and sold to the firms, as if we were just another piece of gear. My session was pretty similar, Jack said, scanning today's dinner options. It just wasn't focused specifically on the identity chips. Well, mine was about why you should dig your own chip out, Susanna answered. So that's why the focus was there. Jack was glad they hadn't gotten their meals yet, because she was sure she would have choked. Dig them out yourself? she asked incredulously. Yep. Susanna said, picking the soup and rice combo. A bunch of reds removed their chips themselves. That's why you see some of the old-timers with fucked-up hands. She leaned in conspiratorially and lowered her voice. Some of them, in the early days, just cut off their entire hands. They were a little whacked, I think, but supposedly that was before it was well known exactly where the chips were. Holy shit, Jack said. That is so fucked up. She paused and picked something off the menu she'd never heard of before. I know, Susanna said, sounding almost in awe of the whole concept. I wouldn't have the cojones to whack off my hand, would you? Hell no, Jack said, nor would I want to. That's way too extreme for me. Yeah, Susanna said, though I might get it done surgically. It's not as jazz as doing it solo with a pocket laser, but whatever. At least it wouldn't hurt. Are you serious? Jack exclaimed. That's way more of a big deal than a tatter. Her gaze strayed to the top of Susanna's head. Horns or something? That's a permanent lifestyle choice. You could never get a normal job again, never get a normal apartment for Christ's sakes. I don't think you can get a new chip all that easily, you know. I know, Susanna pouted. And I'm not saying I'm going to do it for sure, but I'm thinking about it. The food arrived on the track on the wall, and they took their bowls and began to eat. Jack was again stupefied by the taste of the fresh food, while Susanna seemed to be having trouble with her meal. What's wrong? Jack asked in between bites. It's just so strong, Susanna said, her nose wrinkling in distaste. I'm not used to this kind of food. It's weird. Whatever, Jack said, deciding to spend the time enjoying the meal rather than arguing. Jack savored her meal while Susanna chased hers around the bowl. When Jack was done, she asked, You gonna eat that? Susanna shook her head, and Jack grabbed the bowl lustily and finished Susanna's portion. After she was done... Maybe she was filled with magnanimity as well as food. She said, I've got a few meal bars in my room. You can have them if you want. Susanna smiled and said, Thanks. I know I should just get used to it, but it's just too weird. I've never had real food before I got here. Jack pitied the girl, but was happy enough to offload her bricks of nutrient-laden sawdust in exchange for Susanna's soup. They got up to leave the room and head back to Jack's room when Susanna suggested they hit the bar after. There's a bar? Jack asked. Yep, Susanna said. A bunch of the people here don't do substances, but there's a bar for the rest of us. That stuff costs money, though. I hope that's okay. That's fine, Jack said, already salivating at the thought of a beer. They walked to Jack's room, where she gave Susanna the food breaks she'd brought with her. The two then walked over back to the main building and through an unmarked doorway. They don't seem to want to advertise this place, do they? Jack asked. Seems like there's a lot around here they want you to just stumble over, Susanna said as they entered the dark room. 
I think it might be a community building thing. You have to talk to people to find out what's going on. You could be onto something, Jack said. I'm sure glad we talked about this, let me tell you. She grinned as they walked up to the bar itself. It was a long sheet of metal, not unlike the tracks in the meal hall. There was a human behind the bar, and he asked them what they wanted. I'll take a beer, Jack said. Do you want a regular brew or real beer? The bartender asked. Uh, how much does real beer cost? Jack asked, then, before the bartender could answer, she thought better of the question. Never mind the cost, just give me one. The barman smiled and pulled a pint of dark liquid from the old-fashioned tap on the bar. He named the price, which was high, but Jack was perfectly happy to pay. After confirming that she was wirelessly enabled, the bartender flipped on a wireless connection and Jack paid. Susanna ordered a drink. Jack knew consisted primarily of THC. They took their drinks to a nearby ledge and looked around. The room was dark, with occasional strobes and other dim lights. Music was playing fairly loudly, but no one was dancing, though there was an open area in the middle of the space. There were maybe thirty people in the place, just chatting and drinking. And one of them had a big black ball instead of a right eye. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Derisha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot c-a slash beautifulred or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website. Send email to derusha at derusha.ca. Leave a comment on the patio book site. Or call the listener line at 206-984-2976. Thanks for listening.